Chapter four, the divine messenger. We have seen in outline how almost from the beginning of human history, the guidance and development of humanity was entrusted to the initiates, the divine messengers. Never was their power and influence greater than in the times of ancient Atlantis. But as they developed the human qualities of independent thought and self-will, the scene was at the same time being set for one of the greatest disasters ever to befall humanity spiritually and physically. The one who had the mission of uniting the best of all these qualities for the future of mankind was the figure known to legend as Manu. What has previously been said about the fourth root race, the Atlanteans, refers to the great bulk of mankind, but they followed leaders whose abilities towered far above theirs. The wisdom these leaders possessed and the powers at their command were not to be attained by any earthly education. They had been imparted to them by higher beings which did not belong directly to earth. Therefore, it was only natural that the great mass of people felt their leaders to be beings of a higher kind, to be messengers of the gods. For what these leaders knew and could do would not have been attainable by human sense organs or by human reason. They were venerated as divine messengers and people accepted their orders, their commandments, and also their instruction. It was by beings of this kind that mankind was instructed in the sciences, in the arts, and in the making of tools. Such divine messengers either directed the communities themselves or instructed human beings who were sufficiently advanced in the art of government. It was said of these leaders that they communicate with the gods and were initiated by the gods themselves into the laws according to which humankind had to develop. This was true. In places about which the average person knew nothing, the initiation, this communication with the gods, actually took place. These places of initiation were called temples of the mysteries. From them, the human race was directed. What took place in the temples of the mysteries was therefore incomprehensible to the people. Equally, little did the latter understand the intentions of their great leaders. After all, the people could grasp with their senses only what happened directly upon the earth, not what was revealed from higher worlds for the welfare of the earth. Therefore, the teachings of the leaders had to be expressed in a form unlike communications about earthly events. The language the gods spoke with their messengers in the mysteries was not earthly, and neither 
and neither were the shapes in which these gods revealed themselves. The higher spirits appeared to their messenger in fiery clouds in order to tell them how they in human form, entities whose capacities tower above the human must reveal themselves in shapes which are not to be found on earth. Because they themselves were the most perfect among their fellow human beings, the divine messengers could receive these revelations. They had already gone through in early stages what the majority of human beings still had to experience. They belonged among their fellow humans only in a certain respect. They could assume human form, but their spiritual mental qualities were of a superhuman kind. Thus, they were divine human hybrid beings. One could also describe them as a higher spirits who assumed human bodies in order to help humankind forward on its earthly path. The real home of these beings was not on earth. These divine human beings led people without being able to inform them of the principles by which they directed them. For until the fifth sub-race of the Atlanteans, the original Semites, human beings, had absolutely no capacities for understanding these principles. The faculty of thought, which developed in the sub-race, was such a capacity. But this evolved slowly and gradually. Even the last sub-races of the Atlanteans could understand very little of the principles of their divine leaders. They began at first quite imperfectly to have a presentiment of such principles. Therefore, their thoughts and also the laws which have been mentioned in the context of their governmental institutions were divined at rather than clearly thought out. The principal leader of the fifth Atlantean sub-race gradually prepared it so that in later times, after the decline of the Atlantean way of life, it could begin a new one, which was to be wholly directed by the faculty of thought. One must realize that at the end of the Atlantean period, there existed three groups of human-like beings. First, there were the above-mentioned divine messengers, who in their development were far ahead of the great mass of the people, and who taught divine wisdom and accomplished divine deeds. Second, there was the great mass of humanity, among which the faculty of thought was in a dull condition, although they possessed natural abilities which modern human beings have lost. Third, was a small group of those who were developing the faculty of thought. While they gradually lost the natural abilities of, of the Atlanteans through this process, they were advancing to the stage where they could grasp the principles of the divine messengers with their thoughts. The second group of human beings was doomed to gradual extinction. 
The third, however, could be trained by a being of the first kind to take its direction into its own hands. From this third group, the principal leader mentioned above, whom esoteric literature refers to as Manu, selected the ablest in order that a new humanity could emerge from them. These most capable ones existed in the fifth subrace. The faculty of thought of the sixth and seventh subraces had already gone astray in a certain sense and was no longer suitable for further development. The best qualities of the best people had to be developed. This was accomplished by the leader through the isolation of the selected group in a certain place on earth in Central Asia, where they were freed from any influence of those who remained behind or of those who had gone astray. The task which the leader imposed upon himself was to bring his followers to the point where, in their own soul, with their own faculty of thought, they could grasp the principles according to which they had hereto been directed in a way vaguely sensed but not clearly recognized. Human beings were to recognize the divine forces which they had unconsciously followed. Up to that point, the gods had led human beings through their messengers. Now, they were to acquire knowledge about these divine entities. They were to learn to consider themselves as the implementing organs of divine providence. The isolated group thus faced an important decision. The divine leader was in the midst in human form. From such divine messengers, human beings had previously received instructions and orders as to what they were and where not to, and sorry, la la la. From such divine messengers, human beings had previously received instructions and orders as to what they were or were not to do. Human beings had been instructed in the sciences which dealt with what they could perceive through the senses. Human beings had vaguely sensed a divine control of the world, had felt it in their own actions, but they had not known anything of it clearly. Now, their leader spoke to them in a completely new way. He taught them that invisible powers directed what confronted them visibly and that they themselves were servants of these invisible powers, that they had to fulfill the laws of their invisible powers with their thoughts. Human beings were told of the supernatural and divine. They heard that the invisible spiritual element was the creator and preserver of the visible physical element. But to that point, they had looked up to their visible divine messengers, to the superhuman initiates, and through the latter was communicated what was and was not to be done. But now, 
They were considered worthy of having the divine messenger speak to them of the gods themselves. Mighty were the words which again and again he impressed upon his followers. Until now you have seen those who led you, but there are higher leaders whom you do not see. It is these leaders to whom you are subject. You shall carry out the orders of the God whom you do not see, and you shall obey one of whom you cannot obey of one whom you can make no image for yourself. Let me repeat that. Until now you have seen those who led you, but there are higher leaders whom you do not see. It is these leaders to whom you are subject. You shall carry out the orders of the God whom you do not see, and you shall obey one of whom you can make no image for yourself. Thus did the new and highest commandments come from the mouth of the great leader, prescribing the veneration of a God whom no sensory visible image could resemble and of whom none was therefore to be made. The well-known commandments, which follows, is an echo of the great fundamental commandments of the fifth human race, root race. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that in the earth beneath or that in the water under the earth. Exodus 20:31. The principal leader, Manu, was assisted by other divine messengers who executed his intentions with regard to particular areas of life and worked on the development of the new race. For it was a matter of arranging all of life according to the new conception of divine administration of the world. Everywhere, the thoughts of human beings were to be directed from the visible to the invisible. Life is determined by the forces of nature. The course of human life depends on day and night, on winter and summer, on sunshine and rain. How these influential visible events are connected with the invisible divine powers and how human beings were to behave in order to arrange their life in accordance with these invisible powers was shown to them. All knowledge and all labor was to be preserved in this sense, in the course of the stars and of the weather, man was to see divine decrease, the emanation of divine wisdom, astronomy, and meteorology were taught with this idea. Man was to arrange his labor, his moral life, in such a way that they would correspond to the wise laws of the divine. Life was ordered according to divine commandments. Just as the divine thoughts were explored in the course of the stars and in the changes of the weather. Man was to bring his works into harmony 
with the dispensations of the gods through sacrificial acts. It was the intention of Manu to direct everything in human life towards higher worlds. All human activities, all institutions were to bear a religious character. By this means, Manu wanted to initiate the real task imposed upon the fifth root race. This race was to learn to direct itself by its own thoughts, but such self-determination can only lead to good if human beings also place themselves at the service of the higher powers. Human beings should use their faculty of thought but this faculty of thought should be sanctified by being devoted to the divine. One can only understand completely what happened at that time if one knows that the development of faculty of thought, beginning with the fifth sub-race of the Atlanteans, also entailed something else. From a certain quarter, human beings had come into possession of knowledge and of art, which were not immediately connected with what Manu had to consider as his true task. This knowledge and these arts were at first devoured of religious character, devoid, devoid of religious character. They came to human beings in such a way that they could think of nothing other than to place them at the service of self-interest of their personal needs. Such knowledge, for example, included the use of fire for human activities. In early Atlantean times, human beings did not use fire since the life force was available for them to use. But with the passage of time, there were less and less in a position to make use of this force. Hence, they had to learn to make tools, utensils from the so-called lifeless objects. They employed fire for this purpose. Similar conditions prevailed with respect to other natural forces. Thus, human beings learned to make use of such natural forces without being conscious of their divine origin. So it was meant to be. Human beings were not to be forces by anything to relate to these things which served their faculty of thought to the divine order of the world. They were rather to do it voluntarily in their thoughts. It was the intention of Manu to bring human beings to the point where independently, out of an inner need, they brought such things into a relation with the higher order of the world. Human beings could choose whether they wanted to use the insight they had attained purely in a spirit of personal self-interest or in the religious service of a higher world. If human beings were previously forced to consider themselves as a link in the divine government of the world, by which, for example, the domination over the life force was given to them without having to use the faculty of thought, 
they could now employ the natural forces without directly without directing their thoughts to the divine not all the human beings whom manu had gathered around him were equal to this decision indeed only a few of them were it was from these few that manu could really form the seeds of the new race he withdrew with them in order to further their development while the others mingled with the rest of mankind from this small number of human beings who finally gathered around manu everything is descended which up to the present forms the true seeds of progress of the fifth root race for this reason also two characteristics run through the entire development of the fifth root race one of these characteristics is peculiar to those who are animated by higher ideas who regard themselves as children of a divine universal power the other belongs to those who put everything at the service of personal interest of egotism the small group of followers remained gathered around manu until it had gathered sufficient strength to act in the new spirit and until its members could go out to bring this new spirit to the rest of mankind, which remained from the earlier races. It is natural that this new spirit assumed a different character among the various peoples, according to how they themselves had developed in different fields. The old remaining characteristics blended with what the messengers of Manu carried to the various parts of the world. Thus, a variety of new cultures and civilizations came into being. The ablest personalities from the circle around Manu were selected for a gradual, direct initiation into his divine wisdom so that they could become the teachers of the others. A new kind of initiate thus was added to the old divine messengers. It consisted of those who had developed their faculty of thought in an earthly manner, just as their fellow humans had done. The earlier divine messengers, and also Manu, had not done this. Their development belonged to higher worlds. They introduced their higher wisdom to earthly condition. What they gave to mankind was a gift from above. Before the middle of the Atlantean period, human beings had not reached the point where by their own powers they could grasp what the divine decrees were. Now, at the time indicated, they were to attain this point. Earthly thinking was to elevate itself to the concept of the divine. The human initiates united themselves with the divine. This represents an important revolution in the development of the human race. The first Atlanteans did not as yet have a choice as to whether or not they would consider their leaders to be divine messengers. For what the latter accomplished imposed itself as the deed of higher worlds. It bore the stamp of divine origin. Thus, the messengers of the Atlantean period were entities sanctified by their power, 
surrounded by the splendor which this power conferred upon them. From an external point of view, the human initiates of latter times, of later times, were human beings among human beings, but they remain in contact with the higher world and the revelations and manifestations of the divine messengers came to them. Only in exceptional circumstances, when a higher necessity arose, did they make use of certain powers which were conferred upon them from above. Then they accomplished deeds which human beings could not explain by the laws they know and which therefore they rightly regarded as miracles. But in all this, the higher intention is to make mankind stand on its own two feet, fully to develop its faculty of thought. Today, the human initiates are the mediators between the people and the higher powers. And only initiation can make one capable of communication with the divine messengers. The human initiates, the sacred teachers, became leaders of the rest of mankind in the beginning of the fifth root race. The great prehistoric priest kings, of whom legend rather than history tells, belong to these initiates. The higher divine messengers increasingly retired from the earth and left the leadership to these human initiates whom, however, they assisted in word and deed. Were this not so, human beings would never attain free use of their faculty of thought. The world is under divine direction, but human beings are not to be forced to admit it. They are to realize and to understand it by free reflection. When they reach this point, the initiates will gradually divulge their secrets to them. But this cannot happen all at once. The whole development of the fifth root race is a slow road to this goal. At first, Manu himself led his following like children. Then leadership was gradually transferred to the human initiates. Today, progress still consists in a mixture of conscious and unconscious acting and thinking of human beings. Only at the end of the fifth root race, when throughout the sixth and seventh sub-races, a sufficiently greater number of human beings have become capable of knowledge, will the greatest among the initiates be able to reveal himself to them openly. Then this human initiate will be able to assume the principal leadership just as Manu did at the end of the fourth root race. Thus the education of the fifth root race consists in this, that a greater part of humanity will become able freely to follow a human Manu in the same way that the germinal race of this fifth root race followed the divine one. And that concludes chapter four.